I'm excited to announce our upcoming 2023 Banking with Life client-only event. It's going to happen in mid-October of 2023. It's going to happen downtown Fort Worth, Texas. Our whole team will be there. The team has been working very hard to make this an event that's not to be missed. I'll be there, have an opportunity to meet me, have an opportunity to meet the team. I'm going to be speaking. We'll have other guest speakers, and you'll have the opportunity to meet a room full of like-minded people. Think about that. A room full of people that are practicing becoming their own banker. They are practicing the infinite banking concept. You'll have the opportunity to meet with them and share with them. You got to be somewhere. You might as well be there. In this episode, I discuss paid up editions, riders, and some of the characteristics that you may want to consider in the context of becoming your own banker. Thank you for listening. I had fun. Welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery, coming to you from beautiful Alvarado, Texas, the world headquarters of Banking with Life, 20 miles south of Fort Worth on a beautiful Sunday, sunny, or Saturday sunny Saturday morning. Okay. And today I'm going to talk about paid up additions, um, which is the PUA paid up additions is a rider to a whole life policy. And it should be important to you if you're going to, if you're considering becoming your own banker, paying premium, buying a policy, it, it, you know, hope this is helpful. Okay. So I want to kind of cover what it is, what it does, what it doesn't do, what it isn't, uh, the costs, and some of the considerations one may consider prior to putting a policy in force, a life insurance policy. Okay, so a paid up additions is a rider. It's a rider to a whole life policy. And a whole life policy can have many riders. But if we're going to talk about the infinite banking concept, if we want to become our own banker, then the paid up additions rider is a very important component of the construct of that policy. There are many variations. Every company has their own. They have they may have one, two, or three different paid up edition riders. Um, they all uh, are named something different. Each company calls their PUA or their PUAs if they have more than one rider, PUA rider. They call them something different. Okay. Um, and then in the industry, and I know every industry has its own language. Sometimes, I, you know, I get lazy in language. The industry has its own language. But I, I would like to bring clarity if I can or some clarity. When you pay a premium to a life insurance company for a policy, a premium is a policy premium. It, it's a premium regardless if it's to the whole life base component of the policy, or it is a PUA premium as a rider to the policy. It's all premium to the company. If you have, uh, you know, uh, other insured riders on there, if you have a disability rider or waiver premium rider, all of those riders have premiums. So all riders have premiums. The PUA is no different. It's just a rider to the policy and it is a premium. Okay, so it's not a deposit. You know, it doesn't just buy death benefit. You know, I've heard many times over the years where, well, the base whole life buys a death benefit and the PUA deposit buys cash. No, 
it's a premium. Every company has them. Most companies have them anyway. When you get into the infinite banking footprint, all the companies have at least one PUA rider. Most of them have more than one PUA rider. So let's be clear on the language. It's a paid up additions rider. A premium is paid to that rider. Okay. And they all have cost, you know. The uh, cost is different across the industry. There is a charge whenever you pay a PUA premium. And it ranges, to my knowledge, anywhere from uh, 6% all the way up to 15%. Yes, I know, I know. The agent really doesn't point that out a lot of times. I know it doesn't matter. Um, Well, it could matter, okay? So there is a cost. And, you know, the cost could be higher in the first year. They could, a company could lower or may have the a lower cost in year two and beyond whenever you pay a PUA premium, maybe 15% the first year, and it may go down to eight or nine the second year and beyond. Every company's different, but all of that is fully disclosed in the life insurance policy. And sometimes it's disclosed in the illustration, which is not a policy, right? And as a side note on illustrations, you want to avoid looking at singular pages from an illustration. You know, it's not complete. An illustration is not complete unless you have all of the pages. And there's going to be some of the disclosures in the illustration, but it's still not the policy. But you just want to be aware of every asset that you put money into. And life insurance, in my opinion, is an asset, especially when it has a cash value component to it. So you just want to be aware of the assets that you own, right? And it's okay to understand what they do, assets in general, PUA riders specifically, and you want to be aware of what they cost, right? So the uh, PUA rider, if I pay a premium to the PUA, it is a paid up additions. I am buying paid up, no more premium, no future premium required, additional death benefit. So maybe I buy a whole life policy that has an, an initial face amount of $100,000, whatever it is. And it says initial face amount because the death benefit, the face amount should go up. Why? Because in a properly, in my opinion, a properly structured infinite banking concepts policy, the dividends should be allocated to the paid up additions rider. So the dividends paid into the paid up. So you know that the death benefit is going to increase because the dividend purchases, if it's applied to the PUA paid up additions, it's buying additional death benefit. All right. Um, The PUA gives you um, early liquidity. Well, and let me back up a little bit. So, you know, I just had a birthday uh, one more time around the sun. So when I pay a PUA premium, just forthrightly, not from the dividend, that charge is going to be on there, whatever it is, six to 15%, six, seven, eight, nine, or 10%, whatever. But the net is going to buy death benefit. And it's going to be a factor of the premium. So if I pay, let's say $1,000 to the PUA, at my age, I might buy 1.5 times in death benefit. So I paid $1,000 in premium to the paid up additions rider. And that paid up addition amount could be 1500 
I paid a thousand, one point five, fifteen hundred in additional paid up death benefit. Or it could be two. Right. Your age uh, dictates that. And of course, the company and the policy uh, structure, uh, not not the policy structure, but the construct of the paid up additions rider by the company. Consequently, if a young person age 20 paid a thousand dollars in PUA premium, they might purchase that thousand one thousand dollars may purchase three thousand dollars in paid up additions. Right, we're still talking about life insurance, so that paid-up additions amount varies by your age and company. Okay, but um, and let me say, when the dividend is paid to the PUA, there's no typically no charge on that dividend to purchase the paid-up additional riders. A side note, you know, but what does it do? What does the paid-up additions do beyond? buying additional death benefit that I do not owe a future premium for. Well, it net of the charge, it is, it goes, there's an equivalent cash value increase. So if I pay a thousand dollars in PUA premium, paid up additions premium, and the company charges me 6% on the PUA premium, then 9,400 or $940 is going to increase the cash value. So it gives you liquidity and it gives you early liquidity in a whole life policy because generally there is no or very little liquidity, cash value, in a whole life policy. And that doesn't mean the agent got paid all of that money. What actually, in fact, happens is when a life insurance policy is designed by the company, the majority of the cost, and it does cost a life insurance company to put policies in force, all of that cost is weighted to the first two years. And then as another side note, you know, hence Universal Life comes out to unbundle that to separate the cost of the death benefit and the cash accumulation component. You cannot do that in whole life. You cannot separate the components of cash value from the death benefit. As much as you would like to, the termites, as much as the insurance gurus would like to, can't be done, okay? So the paid-up additions rider gives you early cash value. There's very little cash value or liquidity in a typical straightforward whole life insurance policy because the cost is weighted up front to a policy. <clears throat> so um, the PUA was the paid up addition rider was originally created, my understanding, by the life insurance company as a place to put a dividend. It's been around a long time, right? So the dividends paid if a company is uh, financially positive in that year, if their financial experience was a plus in that given year, the dividend is paid right from the financial experience of the company. It's a non-guaranteed component of the policy. And the PUA, the paid up additions rider, was built as a place to have the dividend paid into. There are other dividend elections that the owner can choose, and we'll go into that in a later video. But 
originally the PUA was created as a place to receive the dividend. And it was, I think I said previously in videos in the 70s, it was actually in the early 90s whenever companies began developing a flexible or dynamic PUA, paid up additions rider, that allows the owner to pay additional premium dollars above the dividend into the paid up additions rider. And then, <clears throat> excuse me here, this is 2023. Those PUA riders have developed across the inter industry, you know, with each insurance company, you know, creating their own, with their own limitations, their own cost and their own flexibility. Um, and there are many variations, like I said earlier, of the paid up additions rider. I'm speaking, you know, initially on a paid up additions rider as a pure paid up additions rider, not a blended paid up additions rider where some of the companies, a lot of them have blended a term component with the PUA rider into the PUA. And then there's a term component in that rider. They're called blended PUAs and each company has their own and they're a little bit different. We'll talk about those a little bit later. So there are different names and then uh, every company may have more than one. I think most of them do. But then there are different iterations. You know, the PUA rider that I purchased from a company 10 years ago may not be avail available on new policies if I purchase a policy today. You know, the, the PUA riders, just like products, they change. The companies change their products. Now, once a policy is in force, the company can't change anything about that. So if I have a PUA, PUA rider from a policy 20 years ago, and I do, um, they can't change that, right? It is what it is at delivery, and, uh, you know, they can't go back and change the contract because a life insurance policy is a contract, and then the PUA rider and every other rider is also part of that contract. But my point is, today's PUA rider may not be the same as a PUA rider of five years ago or 10 years ago, okay? And then, you know, I've kind of covered the costs. They're all over the board. You can see them. And then, uh, and I also want to uh, bring this out that the dividend is the dividend. The companies declare dividend if they've had a positive financial experience in a given year. The dividend's not guaranteed. Um, when the dividend is paid into the PUA rider, that action alone causes future dividends to go up. All right, very important. And I can't bring that out and demonstrate and prove that today, but I, it, it is very provable. Um, but let me say the dividend that is paid on the whole life policy is maybe the same rate. It may, you know, the company may use the same rate. But a dividend paid on a base whole life policy today and in the future is different than the dividend paid on a PUA rider. Make no mistake about that. Not going to prove that in this uh, video, but it is at least demonstrable. Okay. And I'll demonstrate that later. What do you mean by that, James? Well, let me get into the power of the PUA here. Okay. I've said very loosely, generically, but very straightforwardly that all of the power of a PUA is in the early years of a policy. 
all of the power in a policy in the latter years is in the base premium. And you can debate that. You can you can do whatever you can. You can hear me and vet me to see if I'm, you know, telling you the truth um, or not. You can do whatever you want to do. And I'm not telling anyone to do anything. Right. I'm I'm just sharing my thoughts and experience and commentary on paid up editions riders. OK. And I hope that it's edifying. You know, I'm not whatever you're doing. God bless you. If you can do better, you should do better. So I'm not telling you you're right. You're wrong. You should do this. You shouldn't do that. But if you have an interest in becoming your own banker and using dividend paying whole life insurance to uh control the banking function in your life, you might want to be aware of what your PUA rider does and what you can do and what you cannot do. Okay. So when I say all of the power of the PUAs in the early years, loosely, lazily, generally, it's because of the cash value, the early cash value that it creates. When I say the power of a policy is in the base premium in the future, it's because of what the dividend does comparatively on the base premium and the PUA premium. Okay? Okay. All right. Um, Even though the dividend may be the same rate, a company may pay a five or four and a half or six or 5.75 dividend, whatever. Um, And then this also kind of speaks to Nelson Nash, the creator of the infinite banking concept. Whenever he says, and he said it many times, whenever he said the action of the owner has a greater bearing on the policy than even the life insurance company does. I'm telling you that's true, and that's a component. What you do with your PUA, how you pay premium, how you make your loan repayments um, affect your policy. And then, and I'm not going to cover it completely today, but the structure of a policy is important. And I know I'm, I'm called an infinite banking purist and a new terminology I heard earlier this week. You know, I'm an infinite banking leftist because I can't get past Nelson Nash. Okay, you can call me what you will. Um, preferably, I'd, you know, like to be called a husband, a father, a son, an uncle, you know, a pretty good guy, stand-up guy, and maybe a friend, right? Okay. Um, so I want to kind of talk about some of the limitations of a PUA rider. <clears throat> and I'm just talking about the standalone paid up edition rider, not a blended PUA. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Um, the, the construct, you know, the company, they created these. Okay. Think about it. They created them. And now they might have created them as a result of, quote unquote, market demand. But it's still a construct of a life insurance company. Okay, and I don't believe that the life insurance companies are bad or evil. I think some are misguided, no question, and can do it better and should do better. But I believe fundamentally it's financially right for you and me at the you and me level in the financial world. It's mutual life insurance companies against the world. Right. This is these are guaranteed life insurance. A life insurance is a contract, and there are a lot of guaranteed components in there. The dividend's not guaranteed, and the PUA is not guaranteed either. 
So when we get into the structure, the uh, the base premium is an obligation. You've heard me many times say I'd rather have the contractual right and uh, as opposed to the obligation. So whenever I buy a life insurance policy, you know, I go through underwriting. The life insurance company doesn't want to pay the, pre- or the death benefit for a long time, so I have to be healthy. But that premium for that policy is an obligation. If I want that policy to stay in force, I'm obligated to pay that premium. Now, you know, there are non-forfeiture options in life insurance, which we're not going to cover here. If I have a certain amount of cash value or enough cash value, I can RPU, reduce, pay up the death benefit, the policy, and, and then I am obligated to no further premiums. Um, if I have enough cash value, I can premium offset. I can cause the policy to pay its own premium through withdrawals of cash value. So there are things that I can do, but ultimately, um, and, and then in either one of those cases, you know, there's a death benefit in force. If the policy is in force, the death benefit is still a, uh, a benefit, right? But I'm not obligated to pay premium out of my pocket with those two examples. All right, and there's future um, content or commentaries coming on the non-forfeiture options, too. Um, okay. <clears throat> the premium to the whole life policy, the base often referred to in the infinite banking footprint is an obligation to me. So I might buy a 10 pay policy. I'm obligated to pay that premium for 10 years. I might buy a 20 pay, 20 pay policy or paid age 65 or paid age 100 or paid to paid to 120. That premium, the base whole life policy premium is an obligation. Okay. Now, if I put a PUA rider on there, then that gives me a contractual right to pay additional premium into the paid up additions rider, but it's still not an obligation. Okay. So there's a little clarity on previous language that I've used and you may have heard. So if I pay a PUA premium um, and I'm getting early cash value, I'm increasing future dividends, I'm getting an increasing death benefit, there it's a wonderful component. You should not, in my opinion, practice the infinite banking concept without a properly designed policy. And when I say properly designed, I mean you want the particular riders that you want on there, but you want a paid up additions rider on there. Okay. All right. But the structure is important. My policy shouldn't look like your policy. I don't have an identical twin. That's the only time policies can be identical. Your situation is different than my situation. Your family structure, your business endeavors, your your retirement timeline or, you know, your financial timeline, the things you're going to finance or the things you want to do are completely different than mine. Right. And I hope you're very successful in all of your desires um, and endeavors. Right. But when I'm structuring a policy, I want early liquidity. I want a PUA rider on there. Every company has its own limitations, right? Um, Some may have a catch-up provision where, let's say I construct a policy that I'm able to put $10,000 premium into the paid-up additions, and I don't do that, right? Well, if I don't do that, 
then the company may say, well, you can only vary the $10,000, the dedicated, allocated premium to the paid up additions rider. You can only vary that amount for one year, two years, three years, or maybe seven years. They're different. Um, and if I, for example, some companies, if I lower that $10,000 in PUA premium in any two years, that becomes my new limit that I can pay into the paid up additions rider. They have minimums and maximums. A PUA rider has a minimum premium required to keep that rider on and active on a whole life policy and active as a rider. And then they'll have maximums, right? And so in my example here, I'm talking about a $10,000 maximum premium that I didn't pay. Well, if I didn't pay the minimum in that given year, then the policy or that rider would fall off the policy or close. And then if that were to happen, I have to go back through medical underwriting to reopen that paid up additions rider. All right. And I'm saying all of this, you know, I'd like to bring clarity, but I want to encourage you to know and understand what you can and cannot do with your PUA rider what you can expect, what you should expect, and what are the costs, you know, what are the pros, what are the cons, all of that will help you, in my opinion, in a proper design of a policy, okay? There's no sense in me, if I don't have the ability to pay $100,000 in PUA premium, why would I create that ability, Right, because it does cost, and I'll get into that a little bit later as well. But so all the companies limit, they limit, there's a minimum and a maximum. They limit uh, if there is or isn't a catch-up provision to the PUA rider. And then they also limit the amount of paid-up additions that you can pay. And they limit it basically one of two ways. If I have a $100,000 whole life face amount policy that I'm putting a PUA rider on, they may say, well, you can only do 10 times the face amount. So you can only have a million dollar PUA rider um, because you have a $100,000 face amount whole life policy. They may say, well, if you're only paying $10,000 in base whole life premium, then you can only pay $100,000 to the PUA rider premium. So they put limits in there, and there's a reason why they limit the PUAs, okay? And I'll get into that, too, I hope. Um, So don't buy into every company is the same. They're not as far as riders and products and the rider, the PUA rider is nothing but a product designed for the designed by the life insurance company. Okay. Um, they're not all the same and I'm not saying they're all good or they're all bad. I'm just saying they're different and you should be aware of those differences before you put your hand to the plow, before you pay a premium. Right. Um, Okay, so they limit them in the catch-up provision, they limit them in the premium or the total face amount, or they may limit them in just total face amount regardless of what the base premium is or the base face amount is, right? In a blended kind of a way, there's some different limits. All right, so they're all different across the industry. There's different names, there's different fees, there's different you know limits and minimums and maximums, and then there are different limits to the catch-up provision, if any. Okay. Now, keep in mind that we're dealing with life insurance, right? And 
you know, it's a heavily regulated industry. Um, but these life insurance companies are in business for one reason, all right, to make a profit. Well, how do they do that? By providing goods or services, just capitalism 101, right? So they're providing these death benefits for their policyholders, and it's contractual. So those death benefits in the future are guaranteed obligations to the life insurance company, all right? Now, if we're working with a mutual company, of course, and then the policyholder becomes an owner of the company. Therefore, we get a share in the financial experience of the company. So we do want well-run mutual companies. There's no question. And part of being a well-run mutual company is mitigating their risk. All right. Makes sense. If you go into business, you want to mitigate future risk. Um, well, how do the life insurance companies do that? Well, this is just one way that they do that with well, or concerning paid up additions riders, right? So, and what do you mean by that, James? Well, here's an example. <clears throat> okay, if I'm 30 and I have a contractual right to pay $100,000 into the PUA and that factor in the death benefit is three times, the death benefit went up by three times. That's a $200,000 increase obligation to the life insurance company, right? Of course. Okay, so... How do they mitigate risk with PUAs? Okay, well, and like every other company, they want a, a consistent, you know, relatively known to the best that they can income and a relatively known the best that they can calculate expense. So I just want a known income and a known expense. Premium is income to the life insurance company. The death benefit and future cash values are expenses to the company. So if I have a rider that allows me, like I said, to pay $100,000 in premium, and then there's going to be a $300,000 increase in death benefit, <clears throat> and of course, it's going to be an increase in, di in uh, dividends and an increase in cash value, obligations to the life insurance company, although the dividend is not an obligation. The cash value and the death benefit is an obligation to the company. You as an owner of your company, as a policyholder, you might understand or it might make sense or it may be reasonable to understand that you, you want to mitigate future risk. And, and how do you do that? Here's an example. Let's say I'm 30. I have the contractual right, not the obligation, to pay $100,000 into the PUA. I'm rocking along. I discover that I have some dread disease. And I've gone, let's say, let's say I've gone 10 years, okay, <clears throat> paying the minimum PUA, not paying the maximum, which is $100,000. Well, here in the 10th year, I discovered that I have a dread disease and I have a contractual right to pay a million dollars in premium, catching up the 10 years that I didn't pay the 100000 therefore obligating the life insurance company to a $3 million death benefit or $2 million above the premium that I paid, they're not going to wrap their arms around that. They don't. So they construct these PUAs with minimums and maximums, and they construct them in a way that you and I cannot uh, become and use adverse selection against the life insurance company. Right. So if I don't pay the PUA minimum, it 
comes off, it closes. I have to go back through underwriting to put it back on. If I don't pay the maximum PUA in a given time period, then I forfeit the right to pay that. Dictated by your PUA rider, that section in your policy, that's where you go to find out how your PUA works, what you can and what you can't do. But it makes sense from the life insurance company, right? Now you can't practice adverse selection against them. Okay, so it's not like that they create these products without any cognitive reasoning of what you can do in the future and therefore what their obligations are in the future. All right, so the PUA construct does matter to you, the policyholder. It matters to me as a policyholder what I can do and what I can't do. Okay, look, I want you to know that I try not to chase too many rabbits talking about paid up additions riders, but I did go a little long. So we're going to continue the conversation and the commentary in the next episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.